Here I see is the ultimate irony of American life today, that believing as we do wisely, following the founders, that absolute power corrupts absolutely, we proceed then on an individual basis to give absolute power and authority to ourselves. That is crazy. What we would not see as safe in the hands of anybody else, we assume to be safe in our own hands. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick, and there's a little bit of irony here, Colin. We don't want anybody else to hold on to all this power, and yet we want it all for ourselves. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we, we commonly say absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that's right. That instinct that is in our hearts with regards to human beings is exactly right. But what it means, if we follow that through logically, is to say it is not safe for you to be the Lord and captain of your own soul, your own life. The only safe way is to place the supreme authority in your life into the hands of God, because if you hold on to it yourself, you're holding on to absolute power over your own life, and that will corrupt absolutely. So I always want to encourage people who go after this statement, because its instinct is right, but its logical conclusion is, I must submit myself to God. And today, as we begin a new series, Tale of Two Kings, we begin to look at one king who did just that, and another who didn't, and the outcome of that. So, if you can, join us in the first book of Samuel, chapter 15, as we begin, A King Gone Bad. Here's Pastor Colin. The book of Judges is tough reading. It really is. It keeps coming back to this, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, Chaos tended to reign in the land, except when God raised up a judge to restore order. And even these judges who were raised up by God were something of a mixed bag. Some of them, like Gideon and Deborah, for example, were wonderful, wonderful leaders, heroes who you could admire. And then there were others, like Samson, who was, of course, a poster boy for bulking up, but uh, hardly a kind of role model for your children when you read uh, the stories of some of the things that he got up to. And uh, so the last of these judges, this long 300-year period that was really a very difficult period, was a good man by the name of Samuel. And so we come to the book of Samuel in the Bible. And picking it up in chapter 8, I want you to notice in verse 3 there that although Samuel was a good man, we're told his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. Nothing much changes in the world, it seems. They took bribes and they perverted justice. So the people see that after some good years under Samuel's leadership, there's not very good stuff coming down the track as far as his sons are concerned. And so they say to Samuel in verse 5, Behold, you are old. Top marks for directness, not a lot of tact there, but uh, just straight to the point. Now look, Samuel, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So you see what is happening at this point in the Bible's story. Here are the people of God and they say to uh, Samuel, now things are not going well. They do not look well for the future. And so what we need is a different form of government. 
What we need here is something that's going to be more stable, something that's going to be more uh, permanent, not this relying on God to raise up another judge when the next crisis comes. And we think that the answer is a monarchy. This is what the other nations do. They have kings, and it obviously works for them. And we think, they say to Samuel, that it will work for us. Now, this is a major turning point in the Bible's story. You need to know that it was not wrong for Israel to ask for a king. In fact, God had anticipated this. It was within his overall purpose for history through his people, and he had planned for it. In fact, if you check back in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 17, you will find that in anticipation of this moment, uh, God through Moses gave particular instructions as to the kind of person the king was to be. And very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 17 is that the key qualification of a king is that he must be someone who submits himself to the law of God and the rule of God. Now, God tells Samuel, therefore, to anoint Saul as the very first king of Israel. And again, I say this is a turning point in the ongoing story of the Bible. Now, just to see how significant this theme is, uh, follow me here if you would. Take your Bible in in your hand at uh, 1 Samuel in chapter 8, and then see what happens next, because the whole of the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is all about the first king, Saul. Then if you go to 2 Samuel, just flicking through the Bible here, the book of 2 Samuel is almost entirely about David. Then what comes next? The first and then the second book of Kings. Guess what the first and second book of Kings are all about? Well, they're about the kings, of course, that that followed David. And uh, just to complete the picture, beyond that, you then have the first and then the second book of Chronicles, which repeats the same story as the first and second book of Kings, but adds some particular applications for the people of God. Now, just looking at the page numbers, if you look at where we are from 1 Samuel and chapter 8, through to the end of uh, the book of Chronicles here. In my Bible, it'll vary probably in yours, um, depending on the introductory pages, but 1 Samuel 8's on page 295, the end of 2 Chronicles on page 491. That means there are 200 pages in the Bible that are devoted to the kings. And there are only 17, uh, 1,400 pages, I should say, in, in the whole of the Bible here as I check it out. That means that one-seventh of the entire Bible is devoted to kings. Now, that has to tell us something important because God does nothing by accident. It has to mean that God has some significant things to say into all of our lives through kings. It, it means that God has much to teach us through kings. It means that in some way kings are important. It means that if we are to understand the message of the Bible, we have to grasp what it means to be a king. And that's the point of this series. Now, in case you thought I hadn't noticed, I am very aware that this is going to be extremely difficult. Granted that we are all very glad to be living in a republic, right? There's a bridge of understanding for us to cross here, to understand what is being conveyed in the world of the Bible. And I want to help us cross that bridge today 
so that we will have an understanding of what God is saying to us in relation to 200 pages, one-seventh of the Scripture, that is all about kings. It's all about kings. Now, let's start here. As all of you know, our form of government in this country, wonderful form of government that we have, reflects and is even founded on the conviction that if power is centered on one person, things will not go well. This is part of the wisdom of the founders of our nation. We believe that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And therefore we believe it is good for the people and it is good for the health of the government that power should not be consolidated in one person, but that it should be diversified through what we call a separation of powers. And so our government, as everyone who's taken the Constitution test knows well, and of course I had to pass my citizenship test a number of years ago, so I'm well, well up on all of this. Uh, our government is divided into three branches, the legislative branch uh, uh, through the Congress, the executive uh, branch through the White House, through the President, and the judicial branch through the Supreme Court. What do these three branches do? This is a nice little refresher for anyone who's coming up to their uh, constitution test at school. The legislators write the laws. That's what they do. They decide what the laws should be. Uh, that's the work of Congress. The executive, what does the executive do? Puts the laws into effect. That's the role of the president to lead the nation within the laws of the land. What is the role of the judiciary? The judges determine when the laws have been broken and where they have been broken, the consequences that should follow. So we have the separation of powers that we understand and that we greatly appreciate. What we have to understand when you go back into the world of the Bible is that in ancient cultures, the king held all three of these powers together in himself. And our natural reaction, of course, is to look at that and to say, well, that is not going to go well. That is something that we need to learn from because that, that's obviously a path to complete disaster, which, of course, is right. And I want you to think about this because, to me, this is the ultimate irony of American life. Think this through with me. Having believed so strongly that absolute power corrupts absolutely, and having planned as the founders did so clearly that there should be in government a separation of powers, which is surely the wisest way for government to function on the face of the earth, and having discerned so wisely, therefore, that there should be no king, we have proceeded to make kings of ourselves. That is what we have done in the postmodern culture. And think of how it works out. We have created a culture in which every individual becomes his or her own king, the king of his or her own life. Our postmodern culture says to every individual, you cannot watch a section of advertising without this being pumped at you absolutely constantly. You write your own rules. You be your own legislator. You follow your own desires. That means you be your own executive. You decide what is right for you. You can't watch adverts without saying, you know, is this right for you? It's the most common phrase in all of our society, which is to say basically you be your own judiciary. That's what it is. 
So if you become your own legislature and you become your own executive and you become your own judiciary, what is that but that you become the king? And here I see is the ultimate irony of American life today that believing as we do wisely, following the founders, that absolute power corrupts absolutely, we proceed then on an individual basis to give absolute power and authority to ourselves. That is crazy. What we would not see as safe in the hands of anybody else, we assume to be safe in our own hands. I have to write my own rules. I have to determine my own morality. I have to be the judge of what is right and what's wrong. I'm the captain of my own life. I'm the, the master of my own ship. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message, A King Gone Bad. It's the first of our series, The Life of David. If you ever miss a broadcast in the series, you can always come back and listen online. Our website is at openthebible.org.uk. If you've joined us late, we're in the first book of Samuel, chapter 15. Let's get back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. Now think about this with me. Where did that begin? Be your own king. It began in the Garden of Eden. Right back in Genesis in chapter 3. Think about this. God created the man and the woman and then he placed them in this beautiful garden where they would thrive and they would live under his blessing and he would be their Lord and their God and they would find all their good in him. Eden. God was their king. And he gave one rule for the protection and for the good of the man and the woman that he had created. You remember that rule. You can check it out in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. God says, now, here's the freedom and the generosity of God. He says, now, you may eat of any tree in the garden, any tree in the garden. But he says, except for one, of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil you shall not eat, for it's going to damage you if you do this. If you eat of that tree in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, most of you know this story well, but think it through with me, please. See its significance. Satan comes to tempt them. And What does he say? How does he go about this temptation? Notice very significantly that there are three parts to that original temptation. What are they? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? That's a legislative question. It's a question about the law. Is this the right law? Did God really give this law? Isn't this a restrictive law? I mean, shouldn't we pass a better law? That would be something that you could do, Adam. What's the next thing? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. God knows, the enemy says, that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's about the executive role, isn't it? You should be the one calling the shots. Why have God making all the decisions and all the direction? Why should he be the one shaping the future? You can be the one that shapes the future. You can be the one who's in the executive position. You can be the one who's making things happen. 
And if you go after this tree, that's the only thing that's stopping you is that God won't let you get to this tree. And you should lay hold of the executive position just as you should feel free to write your own law. And then what is the other thing that he says? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. You shall not surely die. And you see where that goes. That's judicial. God may warn you about some judgment that is to come, but hey, nothing's going to happen. You'll be your own judge. To your own self be true. You stand or fall by the consequences of your own decisions. You don't worry about God. As long as you're right with yourself, that's the only thing that really matters. You see, what is the core of his temptation then? Do you see it? What is at the very heart of Satan's rebellion against God into which he wants to include us? And the heart of it is this that you should be your own king. That you should take to yourself all of the functions of determining right and wrong, writing your own morality, directing uh, the course of your own life, uh, making the judgments with regards to what is right and what is wrong for you. Be your own king. Live by your own code. Stand or fall by your own judgments. And here's the problem. As we all say when it relates to anybody else, Say it with me. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And Satan says, why don't you take absolute power to yourself? We say, oh, that's a great idea. I can trust myself with it. Can you? Somehow we convince ourselves that what we would never trust to one other person can somehow all be held in our own hand and that we do not need someone to legislate for us or to direct our lives. And somehow that we can avoid the ultimate position of standing in accountability before God. Now friends, back to 1 Samuel. Never is this seen more clearly than in the story of Saul, Israel's first king. And we're going to follow the story of this king who went bad, and then the hope of another king, David, who points, of course, to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we're beginning today uh, with uh, Saul. We're going to follow his story. Saul reigned for 40 years. And 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you would turn there with me now, please, comes roughly halfway through his reign. For a few years, things had gone well. There had been some victories, uh, chapter 11, a victory over the Ammonites, chapter 13, a victory over the Philistines. Then in chapter 13, very interesting, what happens when Saul begins to get confident is that he tries to extend his own power beyond even the power given to a king. And he comes and he assumes the right of making a sacrifice, which in the Old Testament was not given to a king. It was a privilege that was given to a priest. But why, why does a king need to wait for a priest? He can come to God for himself and in his own way and so forth. And Samuel brings a very severe warning to uh, Saul at that point. There's a sense that things are beginning to go wrong. This, this person's beginning to assume that uh, he can usurp even the place of God. And then we come to chapter 15. This is the story. You can read the details later if you wish of how God sends Saul on this mission in which he is to deal with this evil, evil man, Agag, who had an extraordinary history of atrocious war crimes. 
And instead of putting Agag to the sword, which was what God had commanded Saul to do, Saul chose to bring him back alive, perhaps thinking that uh, having him locked up would be a kind of trophy to his own praise. And instead of destroying the animals as God has commanded, uh, Saul kept them and then justified his action on the basis that he had offered some of them as sacrifices to God. And this now is the point where God draws the line. There's been grace extended throughout the previous chapters. And chapter 15, you'll see the heading at the beginning is uh, God uh, rejects Saul. And this is the awful moment in the story where Saul is rejected by God as king. And in verse 10, you'll see it there, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Power has corrupted Saul. And now there is grief in the heart of God. When you read the word God saying, I regret, don't don't think for a minute, of course, that God is saying, oh, I made a mistake. God makes no mistakes. Think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Think of the fact that when a man or a woman chooses a sinful and self-destructive path, the heart of God is not unmoved. The heart of God is moved within him at the tragedy of this first king. And the path that has been chosen. And the end to which it is going to bring him. And Samuel is given the unenviable task of announcing the verdict of God to Saul, the first king of Israel. And the news puts Samuel, this good man, into an agony of soul. Try and put yourself in Samuel's shoes. He loves Saul. He's prayed for Saul. In earlier years, he's been a well-received counselor to Saul. But Saul's now gone on a different path. And Samuel has to come and speak the word of the Lord to him that basically says, Saul, you're done. We're going to have to pause there, but we're going to continue the story of King Saul in our next broadcast. The message is called A King Gone Bad, and it's part of our series, The Life of David. Next time, we're going to see how Saul was convicted on three charges, so I hope you'll tune in. If you ever miss a program or want to go back and listen again, you can always do that by going to our website. That's at openthebible.org.uk. There you can stream any of our previous broadcasts or download them for free as an MP3. On the website, you can also find Pastor Colin Smith's Open the Bible Daily, read by Sue McLeish. These are short two- to three-minute reflections with a new one every day. They're a great way to start the day. To find them, go to the website openthebible.org.uk, select Resources, and click on Open the Bible Daily. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, people like you. And if you want to help and support our work of bringing God's Word to folks all over the country, we would greatly value a regular donation each month. As our way of saying thank you when you set up a regular amount of £5 or more, we'd like to send you a copy of the book You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. It's by Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth and Robert Walgamuth. And Colin, who would you say this book's written for? 
Oh, I think it's for every person who has ever said, what in the world is God doing? And I think, I think we've all asked that question many, many times. You know, you look at your life and you say, oh, if only something were different, if only I didn't have this illness, or if only I had a believing partner, if only I wasn't in this particular situation. And what we're really doing is we're asking a question about what it is that God is doing in a circumstance that we would not have chosen. And Robert and Nancy have written a marvelous book that reminds us that it is God who writes the story of his children's lives in all of the circumstances that we face. So, you know, you look down the contents page of this uh, book, chapters on you can trust God when your marriage is in trouble. You can trust God when you're hard-pressed financially. You can trust God when you lose your health. You can trust God when your child breaks your heart. Each chapter is actually aimed at a particular circumstance. And what each chapter does is it shows how God works redemptively in every circumstance of life. It's a wonderful book. It's a joy to read. It's a book of stories. And I think it's going to be a marvelous help and encouragement to everyone who reads it. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book if you're able to set up a regular donation of £5 per month or more. You can find details of this offer on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Pastor Colin Smith and for me, David Pegg, I hope you'll be able to join us again next time on Open the Bible. This broadcast of Open the Bible was supported by our listeners. What has God done for this world of self-appointed kings gone bad? Find out next time on Open the Bible.